and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Turn to Psalm 103. As I announced here a minute ago, next week we're going to be doing, here in our fellowship, the communion service. And the communion service is a very wonderful time where we celebrate and remember the accomplishments of Jesus Christ and what he did for us has symbolized with the broken bo- the bread and the wine symbolizing his broken body and shed blood. It's the one memorial that the church today has. And there are certain things when you go in the Old Testament that God told Israel to do as a memorial. There are actually quite a few in the Old Testament. There are times when he would tell them to build an altar or a pile of stones and that this would be a memorial of what God had done for them on that day. And you have a lot of those kind of things where God does something in the physical realm or has people do something in the physical realm to remember what he did for them. Now, we don't build altars, and so on and so forth today. But the one thing that we do as memorial is the communion service. Again, in the Old Testament, something similar that was done was the Passover meal. And actually, you'll see as we get into this that the communion is the fulfillment of that Passover because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Passover. And... There again, the Passover meal was done every year as a memorial of what God did when he brought the nation of Israel out of the captivity of Egypt. And he told them, he he had them do it at the time right before they left. He had them do this meal where they, they took a lamb and they sacrificed it and they ate the meat of it and they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to paint basically the door frame with it. And that blood, when they did that on their door frame, at the time that the angel of death came and killed the firstborn of every household, he passed over all of the houses of Israel where they had that blood because it showed God's protection and his, his forgiveness of sins. And then the lamb was eaten, and it says about Israel, when they came out of Egypt, that there was not one feeble amongst that whole huge nation, Uh, perhaps as many as two million people that came out at that time. That was a memorial that they then did from that time on. Every year, at the same time of the year, they did that Passover meal, and You know, in Judaism, they still continue to do it. But Jesus Christ fulfilled that for us. And in doing so, he accomplished certain things for us. 
In Psalm 103, in verse 1, we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We are to not forget all of his benefits. Now, that's not the same as remember all of them, because I don't think that would be possible for any of us to remember everything that God's done. But God doesn't want us to forget it all. He wants us to remember. He wants us to remember what he's done for us because that's important for us. It's not that God wants us to remember because he needs the reassurance or the recognition, but we need to remember what God's done. We looked recently at the record of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Did those guys remember what God did for them as they went on that trip? No, no they, they didn't remember from one day to the next. You know, literally, it was like they came out, God parted, had Moses part the Red Sea, and three days later, when they get thirsty, they totally forget that God's already been taking care of them, and they're thinking, we're going to die. Because they didn't remember what God did. God wants us to do that. Verse 3, and here, the first two that are mentioned concerning his benefits are so important and so vital and so central to what we're talking about here with communion. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. God forgives all of our iniquities, all of our shortcomings, all of our sins. It says that God forgives that. He forgives, and he also heals all of our diseases. You know, somehow most people are either more aware or, or focus more on God forgiving sins. Most people know that, that God forgives sins. But somehow, somewhere along the line, people have seemed to have ignored or forgotten that God also promises that he heals all of our diseases. If God is a God of forgiveness, he is also a God of healing. And if we can go to God knowing that he will forgive us when we come to him and tell him that we're sorry for some mistake, we also should have just the same confidence to come to him knowing that he will heal our diseases. Verse 4 says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Our God is a very kind and gracious, loving Father. One who, whose only desire is to have a family that he could share his love with, who wants to take care of us, whose desire is to see that we are in every way whole, physically, mentally, spiritually. God wants us whole. And that's what the communion service, when it's carried out properly and understood, that's what it brings about, what it's designed to do. It's designed to have us recognize and manifest the wholeness that God accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God's plan for mankind. He was his plan for man's redemption. 
And right from the time that man first sinned in the garden, at that same time, God promised that he would send his son. That he would send that promised seed, the seed of the woman. And that that seed would crush the head of the adversary. That God would again bring man back together with himself. And that in doing that, he would take away the consequences of man's sin. And sin brings consequence. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy, it talks about the blessing and cursing of the law. In Deuteronomy, the law is given. It's when the law was given to Moses. And in there, God describes the blessing that came from observing and doing the law, from obeying it, and also the cursing that came when man would neglect to do it, when man would disobey that law. And in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 15, we read, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And it begins to list them. We won't read through all of them. That's not only long, but it's a bit hard to hear. Look at verse 22. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. Verse 27. The Lord shall smite thee with the botch of Egypt. I don't know exactly what the botch of Egypt was, but it doesn't sound like something you'd want to have. And with the emeralds. I, I do know what that is. Um, it's something that is a little easier to read in the King James. Uh, it's hemorrhoids is what it is. And with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst be healed. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. Look at verse 35. The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with the sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. Verse 60. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou was afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law, then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. So this was the curse of the law. This was the curse. If you followed the law, no problem. But if you didn't, then all of this stuff could happen to you. Here's the good news, Galatians chapter 3. This was the curse of the law, but we are not under the curse of the law any longer. That no longer applies. Why? In verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3, it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's bought us back so that that curse of the law does no longer apply to us. We don't have to deal with those consequences of sin. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You saw in Deuteronomy that that curse of the law, so much of it dealt with sickness. 
And sickness is the consequence of sin. Now, that doesn't mean that all sickness is a direct result of sin. It doesn't mean that if you get sick, it's because you, you sinned. You, that could be the case, but that's not necessarily so. We would not have sickness in the world if it wasn't for sin. When the devil introduced sin into the world, when he tempted Adam and Eve, and they sinned, when he introduced sin into the world, with it came sickness and death as well. And sickness and death are the consequences for that sin. And none of that would happen. None of that would have happened, and none of that would have ever been brought into the world had it not been for man sinning and in doing so, giving the adversary, Satan, the authority to be the God of this world. When you go back and you read the record in Genesis, originally Adam was the one who had authority over all of God's creation. God told Adam that he was Lord over everything that he created. Adam had that authority, but when Adam sinned, what he did was he, it was the equivalent to high treason, he transferred that authority over to the adversary. That's why you read, we won't go there, we don't have the time, but when you read in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus Christ is in the wilderness and he's tempted of the devil, in one of those temptations, the devil says to Jesus Christ, I will, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I will give all of these unto you, for all of this is delivered unto me, and whoever I will, I can give it to. Well, Jesus, if thou will bow down and worship me. Jesus Christ doesn't call him a liar. Jesus Christ just says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. But the adversary had that authority because it had been delivered to him. That's why the devil is referred to in the Bible as the God of this world. Satan is the God of this world, and sickness comes from him. Sickness doesn't come from God, and anybody that believes that God's will for them is to be sick doesn't know the Bible. Because God clearly states that that is not his will. God says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. God doesn't make people sick. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, he went around healing people. Well, he wasn't working against God there. It wasn't God was making him sick and Jesus Christ was healing him. That's not the will of God. It's the will of the adversary. And when Jesus Christ gave up his life, he paid the price for sin, both in terms of paying for the, the so we could be justified, so we could be redeemed, so that we could have that remission and forgiveness of sins, and also so that we could have healing, being free from the consequence of sin, that sickness. In Matthew chapter 8, we see this referred to in Matthew 8, verse 17. We read that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. And he did it 
to a limited degree when he was on earth healing people. But when he gave up his life, he did it to the nth degree. He did it for whoever would accept it. Not just those people he could be there personally with, but all from that time on for, until the return that willed to accept Jesus Christ and accept what he accomplished for them. Let's look at Isaiah 53, where this verse in Matthew 8 is quoted from, where not only will we see the, the verse it's referring back to, but also we read a lot, a wonderful prophecy about Jesus Christ and gain a lot of understanding of exactly what he did accomplish. This prophecy about what the Messiah, what the Savior would do. In Matthew 53 and in verse 1. What did I say? Isaiah? Did I say Matthew just now? Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and has a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and, we shall, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is referring to Jesus Christ at the time that he was paying the price for man's sins, at the time that he was taken, when he was beaten. And he was beaten so badly that there was no beauty in him that anyone would be desire of him. Verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, Despised and rejected of men. You know, <clears throat> men spat in his face. Men call for him to be crucified. And when you read the record in the gospel, they beat him so badly, and you'll see it referred to here in Isaiah, that he, wasn't, he didn't even bear resemblance of a man. He was humiliated, and men did reject him. And all of this was done for us. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, some texts have that as sickness, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for what? Our, our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. Why he went through all of that was for our sins. Jesus Christ <clears throat> said that he gave up his life, no one took it from him. He willingly went through all of that. He did it so that we could be redeemed. When he paid the price of his life, it wasn't for his sins, but for ours. And in doing so, he paid the price. And he paid it completely, completely. This is what he did for us out of his great love. And this is the price that's been paid. You know, you think about that. And you think about that in terms of not letting it go to waste. When we refuse to forgive ourselves, when we condemn ourselves, when we feel guilty, when we refuse to accept that forgiveness and that righteousness that Jesus Christ accomplished, it's like saying, well, you didn't do enough. You didn't pay enough price. 
He paid the ultimate price so that we could have that forgiveness. Likewise, with what he suffered in those stripes that he endured, he accomplished physical healing for us. We'll see that more. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are what? Healed. With his stripes we are healed. The communion service is the memorial of what he did. It's the recognition of that forgiveness and that healing. And it's both. And both elements are very important. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Until the, we got to the point that we accepted what Jesus Christ did. That was the case for man. That was the case for everyone. That we had all just gone astray. All of that was laid on him. But praise God, we've come to know him and love him and appreciate what he's done. He was oppressed, verse 7, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. You think about that, that verse is quoted when he's in front of Pilate and being interrogated, and this scripture is quoted about that, that he was oppressed, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no, no violence, Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. This is what we remember when we do the communion service. We remember that price that was paid, and we should never forget it. We should never forget how much God loved us that he sent his son. How much Jesus Christ loved that he was willing to pay that price. The love that was in that, the love that that proves and shows, should be something that every day of our lives we're always aware of. Not to feel guilty about it, not like the churches that put the cross on the front of the church so that you always feel you know, sin conscious and, and that that's what was done, because if it ended there, well then we'd be in big trouble. If it ended with just the crucifixion, if that's where the focus then ends, it's missed the whole point. Because it's not in the death, it's not in the sufferings. If that had been the end of it, if he had died and that was the end of the story, we'd have nothing. It's in that God raised him from the dead that the power lies. It talks in the Word of God about our identification with Christ. Not only was Jesus Christ our substitute, but we are also identified with him. It says how we were baptized with him when he was baptized. That we 
were crucified with him when he was crucified, that we died with him when he died. And if he had stayed dead, we would still be dead in our sins. But he was raised, and we were raised with him. And we are now seated in the heavenlies with him in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Jesus Christ is our Passover. The reason why people don't need to celebrate Passover anymore because Jesus Christ is our Passover. He is that Passover lamb. And when you read the wonderful detail in God's Word, how wonderfully detailed it is. On the same day, the 10th of Nisan, that they would choose the lamb, Jesus Christ was chosen. On the same day that they would kill the lamb and they would... Jesus Christ was sacrificed. He is our Passover lamb. He is our sacrifice. Look at Luke, no, Hebrews chapter 2. In being that Passover lamb, in being our sacrifice, our Passover, he freed us from all of that consequence of sin. He brought us all that God had to give to man. In Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, referring to Jesus Christ, also himself took part of the same, the flesh, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is who? The devil. Through death, he might do what? Destroy him. Destroy him that had the power of death. Until a person's born again, legally, they're the property of the devil. The unsaved man, he's still under the adversary's rule. And the adversary can pretty much do whatever he wants or not do whatever he wants to him. And if he wants to let man, the, the fella, be fine, so it looks like, you know, he doesn't need God, he doesn't need the Lord Jesus Christ, if that suits his purpose, well, then he'll do that. Or if he wants to just ruin the man's life, he'll do that, whatever he wants to do. But once you're born again of God's Spirit, once you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, and believe God raised him from the dead, and that's all that it takes... You confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and you believe God raised him from the dead, and it says, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Once we do that simple thing, to confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, all that he accomplished is ours. That remission of sins, that redemption, that justification, we are now righteous. We are righteous before God because our righteousness is not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All men sin and come short of the glory of God. Not just me, not just you. All men sin and come short of the glory of God. But that's why God had to send a Savior. 
He didn't send Jesus Christ because we deserved him. He sent him because we needed him so much. And now, because of that, we have life eternal. We have life eternal, and we have a more than abundant life right now. And all of God's goodness and his love is ours to enjoy. And so much and so important and central to that is that righteousness, that redemption, and that healing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 16, we read about the communion. And it says in chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Those two elements, the bread and the wine, represent, those represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Represent. It's not transubstantiated into it. It doesn't literally become his body. It doesn't literally become his blood. That's a figure of speech. It's a metaphor. But that bread, when Jesus Christ told them on that Last Supper, take eat of that bread, this is my body, that represented his body. And that wine represented his blood. And those two elements, when taken with the understanding of what they do represent, help us to manifest that wholeness. And that's what we'll do next week. Down the word is on my mind